From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the dark side of prostaglandin mediators, literally. In 2002, when bimatoprost came out on the market, we put a number of patients on bimatoprost, patients with glaucoma or hypertension, uh, and then first complaints about periocular darkening uh, came at the end of 2002 and early 2003. Patients basically came and start to ask, you know, doctor, why I have these dark circles around my, eye, my eyes? You know, is that related to the medications that I'm using? First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Osmanovic declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Prostaglandin mediators have largely proved so effective that they have driven down the use of beta blockers and even of glaucoma surgery. But even these wonder drugs have a dark side, literally a dark side. Prostaglandin mediators can produce iris and periocular hyperpigmentation. But this has not been enough to dissuade most of us from prescribing these medications. Still, it would be nice to let our patients know whether they are at particular risk for hyperpigmentation and at what point, if ever, that risk has passed. We'd also like to predict if cessation of the medication will cause a regression of this pigmentation. To answer these questions, and several more we didn't even know enough to ask, I'd like to welcome back Smyo Osmanovic from the Illinois Eye and Ear Infirmary at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Smyo first appeared as a guest on As Seen From Here in April of 2005, and it's a treat to have him back today. Aside from periocular hyperpigmentation, what side effects are associated with prostaglandin analogs? Well, uh, there are numbers of uh, side effects associated with prostaglandin analogs. Um, first of all, they're most commonly prescribed medications for glaucoma today, and uh, the reason for that is probably the, 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 the uh, efficacy, number one. Number two is lack of significant systemic side effects. However, do, they do have local side effects, and some of those local side effects are similar to local side effects of any eye drops, like uh, burning, uh, itching, uh, falling body sensations, things, stuff like that. However, prostaglandins do have unique uh, local side effects that other topical medications uh, applied in the eyes don't have. And uh, these are primarily uh, side effects that, uh, that deal with either iris or uh, ocular tissue pigmentation with uh, periocular skin hair, as well as uh, possibility they can use seasonal macular edema, maybe iritis, maybe recurrence or uh, worsening of 
uh, herpes, simplex, and basically those. Is bimatopus fairly typical for this class of medication? Well, we don't know actually is it, uh, is it fairly typical because we don't have uh, data about Lumigen side effects as much as we have with latanoprost. Lumigen came out in uh, spring of 2002, so we have about four years of experience with it. Latanoprost or Zolatan is now on the market for 10 years and we have much more experience with it. And I would say that probably uh, most side effects that are known are described with Lumigen and there is a uh, preponderance of the studies regarding the local ocular side effects and, uh, and latanoprost. There are very few studies with uh, bimatoprost and chavaprost, uh, which is another prostaglandin analog that we often use in this country. What work had been done on this topic prior to this study? Prior to these studies, there were several case reports uh, on uh, periocular skin hyperpigmentation in, uh, I would say, there are three case reports with latanoprost in four patients, and there is one case report with bimatoprost in African-Americans. Uh, in 2003, group from Duke published that report, and uh, uh, recently, last year, there was a report from Great Britain on uh, several patients who developed periocular skin hyperpigmentation. Package inserts for all prostaglandins that are used in this country do cite periocular skin hyperpigmentation as, as side effect, and they even give frequency from, uh, I think, 3 to 10%, which probably is based on data obtained in phase 3 clinical trials. What did your study seek to investigate? But what we basically done in 2002, when bimatoprost came out on the market, we put number of patients on, uh, on bimatoprost, patients with glaucoma or ocular hypertension, uh, and then first complaints about periocular darkening uh, came at the end of 2002 and early 2003. Uh, patients basically came and start to ask, you know, doctor, why I have these dark circles around my, eye, my eyes, you know, is that related to the medications that I'm using? And uh, treating physicians basically noted pigmentation, you know, and uh, not, not, not notation was made in the chart about pigmentation, and then uh, uh, patients were usually asked to discontinue by matoprost that visit and some patients choose to continue, some patients choose to discontinue. And uh, we didn't plan study at that time, however, notification was made in the chart. And then uh, after a significant number of patients came with this complaint, we have third unbiased observer, third physician basically, who came and analyzed these charts for us and basically this is how the study came about. Is periocular hyperpigmentation distinct from periocular erythema? I would say yes. Majority of patients do have periocular erythema prior to pigmentation, especially in fair-skinned individuals of Irish descent. Or, and uh, I would say majority of patients do have periocular skin erythema. However, in some patients, you can see hyperpigmentation from the very beginning. And it, it can vary from, you know, light tan to dark brown. And again, in this study, we did just hyperpigmentation induced by bimatoprost in Caucasians. Uh, bimatoprost can cause hyperpigmentation of the skin around the eyes in other racial groups, but we didn't really study that. We are right now studying that, but this study was solely 
basically based upon the hyperpigmentation noted in Caucasians. You began to touch on this before, but can I have you describe the design of the study? Well, the study is uh, a retrospective non-comparative case series involving uh, 37 Caucasian patients who all developed cosmetically disturbing uh, periocular skin hyperpigmentation while receiving bimetoplast therapy. Um, every age of the patients was 65, 29 of them were female and 8 of them were uh, uh, male. The majority of them have diagnosis of primary open-angle glaucoma, I think 28 of them, and the uh, rest of them have diagnosis of ocular hypertension. Uh, treatment was usually bilateral in 32 patients, and uh, it was unilateral in 5 patients. They were using uh, bimetoprost one drop at a bedtime in both eyes until they were instructed to stop it. Majority of patients were on uh, uh, basically monotherapy with uh, bimetoprost. I would say that uh, 33 of them received only bimetoprost and uh, four of them received some additional medications because intraocular pressure drop was not sufficient with bimetoprost alone. Uh, assessment of pigmentation was uh, uh, subjective and that's one of the uh, limitations of the study. Basically, we uh, graded uh, pigmentation according to scale from 0 to 3, 0, no pigmentation. One, mild pigmentation usably, usually noticeable on the lower eyelid. Two was moderate pigmentation uh, noticeable both lower and upper eyelid. And three was severe pigmentation that could be noted not only on the eyelid but also on uh, upper cheek and periorbital skin. Why did you exclude other prostaglandin analogs from your study? First of all, uh, we think that uh, frequency and severity of periocular skin hyperpigmentation is probably uh, more severe with uh, bimetoprost than with uh, latanoprost or chiloprost. So we didn't basically study the other two. We do have records of patients who have periocular skin hyperpigmentation with two other prostaglandin analogs, but this is not the subject of the study. Why did you only study Caucasians? Was this just the patient population that you had at hand? Yes, that's, that's predominantly Caucasian patients in one of the practices. How did you determine the onset of periocular hyperpigmentation? Well, onset of periocular hyperpigmentation was basically defined in the study as a time from date of the start of bimetoprost treatment to the date when physician identified the pigmentation. And uh, there is wide variability of course, the average number of days that uh, uh, pigmentation was noted was about 280 days, but the range was pretty wild, from 50 to 600 days. Did the appearance of this pigmentation influence the therapeutic course? Uh, that's to say, were the patients asked to discontinue the medication when the periocular hyperpigmentation appeared? Yes, they were advised to stop uh, treatment. Majority of patients start treatment uh, as advised right away. A few patients continued for um, a few more weeks, and uh, we didn't include patients who choose to continue bimetoprost in spite of our recommendations. And these are mostly patients who have end-stage glaucoma. Everything else was tried, nothing works, and they were basically faced either with choice of surgery or continuing bimetoprost, which was lowering the pressure sufficiently to avoid the surgery. 
So they chose not to discontinue. We excluded those patients, though, from the study. What were your main outcome measures? The main outcome measure was uh, grade of pigmentation and the time to onset of pigmentation and time to resolution of pigmentation. What were your results? Okay, so first of all, the average number of days to onset of hyperpigmentation was, as I said, about 280 days with a wide range between 50 and 600 days. And uh, when we plotted frequency distribution of time to onset, we noted that uh, uh, most commonly uh, appearance of pigmentation is around the three to six months. Some patients continue to uh, develop pigmentation after this time, of course, and uh, we have some patients in which pigmentation was identified uh, 15 months after starting Plus treatment. When pigmentation was first time noted uh, at that examination date, the grade was about 1.3. The range was, again, pretty wide between 1 and 2.5. About 70% of patients had uh, mild grade, grade 1, uh, about 20% of patients have uh, grade 2 and uh, less than 10% have severe uh, pigmentation grade, more than 2, basically. Uh, usually, uh, hyperpigmentation, as I said, was noted usually by either patient or patient significant other, relative or friend, and uh, uh, sometimes by treating physician. Uh, we stopped pigmentopros uh, in majority of patients when it was noted, Usually, the grade of uh, hyperpigmentation and discontinuation was uh, between mild and moderate. Average grade was 1.5. And uh, uh, 24 patients who have average grade of pigmentation 1.4 discontinued bimetoprost treatment on the date when hyperpigmentation was detected. And 13 patients who had initial grade of 1.1 and who choose not to discontinue by metoprost, they discontinue later uh, after about 140, 160 days. And they have average grade uh, that was much higher, about 1.7, 1.8. Resolution of pigmentation was complete in 32 patients. It took about 200 days for complete resolution in these 33 patients. Four patients who had incomplete resolution were started on other prostaglandin analog after stopping by metoprost. Most of them were started on uh, latanoprost or latanoprost combination therapy. Uh, three of them were started on travaprost. Uh, however, these patients also had uh, complete resolution with uh, slightly prolonged time course. Just to be clear on that point, when the bimatoprost was discontinued, the periocular hyperpigmentation tended to resolve. And that was true even when they were switched from bimatoprost to a different prostaglandin analog. It's just that when they were switched to a different prostaglandin analog, the time to resolution of the hyperpigmentation was a little bit longer. Correct. That's interesting. Yeah, that. You know, as I said, we can discuss that uh, later on, you know, what, what, what's the implication of that. But that's an interesting finding. Was there a particular pattern to the onset of the periocular hyperpigmentation? Uh, usually, usually uh, hyperpigmentation starts on the lower eyelid. And uh, usually 
goes either in the inner or outer cantal area and then spreads around the lower eyelid. As I said, usually there is erythema prior to that and then hyperpigmentation with or without erythema is not in on the upper eyelid. If a patient kept using pimatoprost, usually there was kind of spreading of hyperpigmentation toward the cheek area. Usually a clear zone, clear demarcation line could be seen between pigmented and normal areas. Did the pigmentation correlate with the patient's age? Uh, there is no correlation between patient's age and uh, uh, grade of pigmentation. Now, Smayo, you found a large range of time to onset of pigmentation. Why do you think that that is? This is probably a result of limitation of our study. The reason being we didn't see patients more often because they have pigmentation. We basically scheduled their follow-up visit based upon intraocular pressure control. So pigmentation could be noted by patient maybe two months prior than a physician noted. And we documented the date of onset date when physician noted the pigmentation. So I think that's the most uh, important reason. Second reason is subjective assessment. We don't have objective way of measuring perioclar skin hyperpigmentation. So probably there is variability how given physician sees pigmentation in a given patient on a given day, depending on illumination, depending on different factors. But still, some of the patients had onset of hyperpigmentation uh, more than one year out, I think, some of them more than two years out. Uh, more than one year, I would say around 15 months probably. Uh, that, would, that, that was the longest. Uh, th there are a number, number of other reasons. Could be genetic factors, could be uh, uh, different response to pigmentation-inducing uh, factors such as UV light, could be hormonal, could be uh, special, I would say, chromatic setting of the individual, you know. Uh, skin pigmentation is a very complex phenomenon with multiple factors involved that we don't understand majority of them, and it's very hard to, to say without having objective measurement of uh, pigmentation, what was the, the, the reason. But given the fact that some of these patients demonstrated really quite a long latency until the onset of pigmentation, do you feel that there's any point that we as clinicians can feel confident that if hyperpigmentation has not yet occurred that it's not going to? Uh, probably yes. Some people tan easily, some people, you know, tan not so easily. I think that uh, pigmentation induced or related to uh, prostaglandins probably is similar to tanning response. And uh, there is a big difference in the uh, pattern that people tan. And, I, and probably there is a big difference in uh, skin response to different chemical factors that can induce pigmentation. But in general, if someone has not developed hyperpigmentation over 15 months of use, we can feel relatively comfortable telling them that it's not likely that they're going to subsequently get periocular hyperpigmentation. Based upon this study, I would say you are correct. Given the great latency to onset of hyperpigmentation in some of your patients, can we make any reasonable estimate about how common periocular hyperpigmentation is with bimatoprost? 
Well, uh, first of all, I have to underline this study, although we have a large number of patients in the study, does not address the issue of incidence. To find out what's the incidence, we have to, again, have objective way of measuring and uh, do prospective study. Uh, my personal impression is that bimetoprost causes periocular skin hyperpigmentation a little bit more often than uh, latanoprost or chaloprost. Uh, it's, very, it's very hard to say what percentage of patients would have it. We don't have data on that. To what extent does periocular hyperpigmentation correlate with iris color change? Uh, in, in our study, probably not much. Uh, first of all, bimetoprost is known not to be uh, associated with iris color change as much as latanoprost. Uh, there was actually a study published recently that followed more than 1,000 patients on bimetoprost, and uh, they noted only 1% of people changed the color. There are a lot of methodological limitations to the study, but generally, I think majority of clinicians accept that bimetoprost causes less iris pigment changes than latanoprost. I realize that patients who decided to remain on bimetoprost were excluded from the study group. But do you know if further use of this medication results in more pronounced hyperpigmentation? Yes, it does. Actually, the patients who, who continue using bimetoprost and then stops it later on, uh, I think it was 13 of the patients in the study that, that, that chose to do that, had increase in grade of pigmentation, which actually indicates that there is some dose-response dose, dose relationship here. Did the presence or degree of hyperpigmentation correlate with the efficacy of the drug? All of these medications uh, have very good IOP lowering effect because we usually do monocular trials. For example, we put patient on bimetoprost in one, one, one eye and then we check pressure after six weeks and if pressure drop is uh, adequate, then we continue using either in one eye or both eyes. So since pigmentation developed after three to six months, all of these patients have nice responses to, to bimetoprost pressure-wise. Whether they had periocular hyperpigmentation or they didn't. Exactly. Now, given that the periocular hyperpigmentation resolved in the overwhelming majority of these patients, what do you think that the pathophysiology is here? We recently uh, published a study. Uh, we took biopsy from two patients who were on bimetoprost therapy, and we did uh, light microscopy, electron microscopy, and uh, immunostaining on these specimens. And we found that bimetoprost causes periocular skin hyperpigmentation by increasing melanogenesis in dermis melanocytes. What we found basically is that bimetoprost causes increase in melanin content in dermal melanocytes and increased transfer of melanin granules from melanocytes in dermis to epidermal cells that then, uh, you know, renew continuously. The electron microscopy study that we performed showed that there is increased number of melanosomes. These are organelles inside the cells that pack melanin and that uh, that increase was huge, 250-fold in dermis and uh, almost 10-fold in epidermis. Uh, 
we did not notice any proliferation of melanocytes, and that's very important. Proliferation can mean, you know, can mean precancer or cancer, and the last thing you want to do when you treat glaucoma patients is to, you know, induce melanoma of the skin, you know, of the of the periocular skin. Sure. So there is no any proliferation of melanocytes, nor we notice any signs of cell atypia or, or, or migration. So the basically mechanism is increased melanogenesis by uh, producing more melanin, by making more melanosomes and transferring those melanosomes more efficiently in a greater extent to epidermis. Does the hyperpigmentation of the iris resolve over time? Hyperpigmentation of iris never resolves over time. We now have five-year studies, uh, and, and none of these studies show any significant uh, sign of pigment uh, disappearance. Uh, some studies reported there might be some, but probably it's just change in color of the iris with aging. Our irides do become lighter when we age. However, electron microscopy studies that were done, and there are a number of studies, really show that there is no any change in pigmentation. The reason for that is that melanocytes in iris, and this is irisroma predominantly, are incontinent. They don't release pigment. If you study specimens of iridectomy from patients who use latanoprost for many years, there is not much increased content of melanin outside the melanocytes. Most of them are in melanocytes, and melanocytes are basically just producing more melanin and have more melanosomes and uh, have uh, larger melanosomes. But they are incontinent, they don't release pigment. In skin, it's a different situation. Melanocytes of dermis are continent, they release pigment to dermal cells, to epidermal cells, and then epidermis, you know, gets, you know, continuously renewed and uh, shed, and that's how we lose pigment. Smile, what do you do in your own practice if a patient on bimatoprost comes in with periocular hyperpigmentation? Well, I first talk, talk to patients. I explain that the effect is completely reversible. If we stop uh, bimatoprost, that probably pigmentation will disappear in about uh, six months and uh, that I can switch to different medication, maybe different prostaglandin analog with possibility that might be some residual pigmentation left. And if the patient chooses to stop it, we stop it. If patient chooses to continue, we continue. Again, the problem is in the patients who are basically choosing between trabeculectomy or surgery or continuing primatoprost. Sometimes other London analogs are not efficient enough not effective enough, and we have to basically use it. And I would say probably bimatoprost works in some patients in which latanoprost or traloprost doesn't work and vice versa. And in those situations, we just uh, basically uh, decide on an individual basis. Smayo, is there anything that you'd like to add, any comment that you'd like to make? Uh, well, we, we, we studied a number of demographic factors, uh, relation between those demographic factors and periocular uh, skin hyperpigmentation. And... Uh, like age, uh, topical medications used prior, during, or after discontinuation of bimetoprost. Um, and we found that there is only weak correlation between the age of patient and time to resolution of periocular skin hyperpigmentation. And probably the reason for that is that in older patients, there is a little bit slower skin turnover. We calculated there is probably about three to four 
full skin cycles necessary to completely uh, resolve the pigmentation. And uh, I think that's probably the explanation why in older people resolution of pigmentation is a little bit slower than in younger people. Smayo Asmanovic, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Smayo Asmanovic is Clinical Assistant Professor in the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the Illinois Eye and Ear Infirmary of the University of Illinois at Chicago. His paper, Clinical Course of Bimatoprost-Induced Periocular Skin Changes in Caucasians, is in press in ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Osmanovic or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype J Young MD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.